Go ahead. Let's rock. Occasionally with uh, Doug and Tina and Gerard, where I'm coming from. 15 years into education now, you know, what can I do to create this equitable space? Like, you know, what Especially for those students um, that look like me that came from uh, my community, I wanted to be an influencer for them, like for young people. Connect with more people to Mindset. All right, this is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard. All right, we are up. I think we're at episode 42 for us, actually. It's, we're going to call it season three, episode <laughs> seven, but it's actually episode 42. I was counting today. I was looking at some stuff. But anyway, it's just Gerard, Dina, and I tonight, and we're going to start off with our summer destinations to start off, and then um, Dina brought a great topic for tonight, so... Who wants to start off? What's your summer? What's your, what's your number one summer destination for you guys now that we're all getting through the school year? I am going to be headed to Fort Lauderdale um, second nice. week of July. Um, I have a stepson that lives down there, and we have not had an opportunity, obviously, to to travel to visit with him. Um, so he and he and his wife bought a house, and we're going to finally get to go down and and see their new place and spend some time with, uh, with them. So I'm excited about that. That is super cool. What you got, Jerry? Me, I know where, um, I got Nace in Chicago and then, um, we spent some time in Atlanta. Yeah. I'm going to Nace. So then we'll be spending some time in Atlanta. Um, something, the girls got some things that may be going on and we'll, we'll be, um, uh, working on that, but looking forward to it. I'm taking my son and my brother out to Midway in Chicago as well. Not for NASP, but to visit my dad who lives in Wisconsin. So he's going to pick us up at the airport in Midway, spend a long weekend out there. So I'm looking forward to that. He was so excited. He's like, we, I got tickets to the Beach Boys. And I was like, <laughs> wow. Okay. Great. I can't. I'm so excited about the Beach Boys. Are they still alive? The Beach Boys are they still alive. They are still alive. So. They're still performing very oh. regularly. The, yeah. the Beach Boys are still alive. Uh, yeah, the Beach Boys are performing in Milwaukee in in uh, August. I'll be there, Gerard. I'm going to record it and I'll send it to you. It's going to be super tremendous. I don't even know. Wow, that's longevity. Not in Kokomo. Not in Kokomo. <laughs> in Milwaukee, yeah, that's longevity like, right here. I'm telling you what, the Beach Boys' "Pet Sounds" is one of the most underrated rock albums of all time, and it's I I love it so. <laughs> They got to be worth billions at this point, the Beach Boys. But anyway, I'll be at the Beach Boys in the summer. So you guys are going to be super jealous when I text you the picture of the Beach Boys. <laughs> all right. In all seriousness, tonight we're going to be talking about mental health. <laughs> so part of mental health is listening to the Beach Boys and making them feel calm about myself. But besides the Beach Boys, why is mental health important and, and why should we care about mental health? Dina, you brought this up. So what is it important to think about mental health and why should we even care about mental health at this point? Um, so it's, I, I got to thinking about this topic because um, there's been a lot of um, press around uh, Naomi Osaka and, you know, her deciding that she was not going to do press conferences um, with the French open and made that decision for herself. And so I got to thinking about a lot of that. And, you know, we, we tend to look at, you know, student mental health and, you know, student social emotional wellness and all of the pieces that go with that. But we, we don't 
do that much or we don't think about it that much in relation to teachers. And so I started kind of looking into like, what are, what are some statistics around that? And um, there are several things that have come up. So the World Health Organization um, reported that one in four people are affected by mental or neurological disorders at some point in their life. So that's a, that's a pretty big percentage. So out of four people, you know, at least one of them has struggled with that at some point. Um, so that's a, that's a pretty big statistic. Um, something else that was reported is about a close to 1 billion people currently are struggling with mental illness or mental well-being throughout the world. So again, that's a, a, a very large number of people. Um, and oftentimes when people are really struggling, they tend to, you know, try to self-medicate. So we have 3 million people dying from the effects of alcohol. So there's another statistic for mm-hmm. you. And then um, in terms of suicide rates, every 40 seconds, someone dies by suicide. And so based on those statistics alone, it's something we need to care about. Um, the um, American Federation of Teachers statistics from 2015, 78% of teachers reported feeling physically and emotionally exhausted. And so I, and I think back to 2015, 2015 was a bad year for me. Like just, it, it was a really, really challenging, difficult year. Um, and so I don't know with that, if it, it doesn't connect in, are you feeling that way spe- specifically because of your job or are there personal factors that are impeding that? But regardless, mm. it's something that we need to take into consideration because obviously teachers who are not feeling at their best are not going to provide learning experiences for students where they can be at their best. And so that, you know, we have to, to kind of take those things into consideration and care about that. And, you know, as somebody who has struggled with that myself, um, you know, when I listen to um, or hear stories of other people struggling through that, I, I am incredibly empathetic to what people deal with and I, and I get it. And, you know, it's just, it, it I want to make sure that I am, supporting, you know, cause I am in a leadership position. So I, I'm trying to make sure that I'm supporting the people that I work with. Um, and it's, it's hugely important that we make sure that, that people are being able to provide as best a quality educational experience as possible. And if they are struggling, they need to be in situations where they feel like they can do their best work. Um, so it's kind of our job as leaders to help support them. Yeah. I wonder though, and again, we talked about this a little bit before the show. Like, I wonder when you decide to become a teacher or, and I don't want to really want to take Naomi Osaka because she's, she's definitely a, a, a star. I mean, she was the highest paid female athlete, but when you agree to become a teacher in America or probably anywhere, you kind of sign an unwritten contract that you're going to be working with people that are going to have a lot of problems and that's going to weigh on you. And I wonder if, it comes with a territory that you also agree that you're also going to have to suffer through some sort of mental anguish or negative feelings in order to get through your job. And I wonder if those people that sign up for those sort of jobs are more apt to deal with that sort of thing. But when asked, are you struggling? They do report it more than those that might not, who might work in a bank or who might be a, 
a whatever, like a, a, a realtor or a, or a whatever other job you might have, construction job. Like if you're in construction or a banker or a realtor, your mental health might not suffer as much because you only might be worried about the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And if you don't reach your bottom line, it's because of the amount of money you didn't make. But when you sign up to become a teacher, you're saying, I'm going to be working with people. It's a people business. And therefore, I have to accept the fact that it's going to weigh on me in a different level. And therefore, I'm going to say that my mental health is more uh, at you know, at, at threat or whatever, however you want to say it, my mental health is more um, damaged because of the fact that I'm working with people. And I wonder if that's just a result of the fact that of the occupation that we've all chosen to accept. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. And I'm not saying that teachers and educators don't need more help, but I just wonder if that just comes with it. And that's that unwritten contract that we all sign when you become an educator that it's just going to happen because I know Dina, you and Gerard both I've seen and heard some stuff and I'm like, I can't even imagine how the people that I truly care about that are in my schools are dealing with it. And it crushes me every time I hear a new story about some kid going through something. I'm like, man, but that's a, that's a killer of my mental health. You know? Um, Well, it's so first off, I did not sign on to have to go through Mm. levels of depression with my job. Um, I didn't sign on for trauma. I didn't sign on for, um, you know, feeling every year, like I can't do a good enough job at what I do. Um, I didn't sign on for any of those things. I signed on to be an Mm -hmm. English teacher and to get the content in. But the problem is that when you, if you want to get the content across, you also have to build relationships with people. And when you build relationships with people, you don't know how that's going to impact you. And unfortunately, depression doesn't work out that cleanly. Like I could, I could be sitting there having a conversation with somebody and not, and listen to their situation, provide a level of empathy, not feel in that moment, any trauma at all. And then when I go to relay that to somebody else, it manifests itself very differently with me. And everybody who experiences any level of depression, what triggers it is, is going to be something different. Um, and so you, you just don't know, like, and there are people who, there are teachers who sign up, you know, you get, you don't, no one talks to you about the difficulty of it. No one talks to you about how it can be triggering there. This is never a conversation that gets had. I went through all of undergrad and there was not one single conversation that was ever about, you know, you were going to have kids who, when they share things with you, it's going to hit you a certain way. Um, You know, no one ever talks about that. And so, you know, we just, it it was never a point of conversation and it was very much like um, everybody talked about how, you know, how we, you know, we all get on this because we want, we want to see kids learn and we want to positively influence kids' lives. And so None of us signed on to deal with what can be a very um, triggering and trauma-inducing experience. Um, But when you get into it, the question then becomes, I've never felt like this before, and I don't know how to process this, so what do I do? And like sometimes if it's the first time you've ever felt like that, you don't even know that you're depressed. Like you, 
you have no idea. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. You know, it's, mm, it's true. Like, I, it, you know, mm. I had to, I, I, I'm not even kidding you. Like I was on the computer researching because I was a, I, I was like, you know, am I depressed? Because I don't even know if this is what I'm experiencing. So I had to actually research it. And I'm like, and then after I researched it, I was like, oh, I, I think I'm depressed. Like it, it, and I had to give myself permission to say that out loud because there is such a stigma around that. You know, it just, you, you, yeah. you're afraid to talk about it. You're afraid to say something and shame always does its best work when people don't talk about it. Um, so right. I just, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And so finally, um, I had just one, one day I'm like, you know, yeah, I think I, I need to get help. But it was, it came because I had an administrator that said to me, something doesn't seem right. There you go. Nobody until that administrator had said something to me, nobody said anything at all. Um, and it's because I got really good at faking like everything was okay, um, which is yeah. what a lot of people do. And so that's, that's where it is. Some of your strongest people, you know, because we tend to, we tend to really put a lot of emphasis on, oh, look how strong they are. You know, look at, look, at, they're, they're holding up so well, you know, and they're. Oh, that's me every day. Yeah. That's me every day. <laughs> that's the truth. And you, Gerard, when you. And you don't get medals at the end of your life for having been the strongest. You know, you just, you do it because you, you feel like you have to, and you don't have a choice. Like, I'm just thinking like as educators, that's why I think, and you just said, I like how you said a principal had took notice. That's why it's very critical that we, we know each other. We learn about each other. We learn our character. We learn the characteristics of those around us when they're at their highs, and we learn mm-hmm. the characteristics of those when they're at their lows. That way, you know how to support in both areas. Um, and I'll give for example, like I, like I've really worked at trying to know when my teachers are at those limits, and I know the teachers that will stay super late come in early and I know the ones that have that normal routine. And when, when I see teachers that usually stay super, super late, leaving right when, you know, the contract time is, I'll make a note to like, if I'm passing them, I'll make a note to say, Hey, um, great job today. I'm glad to see that you're going the correct direction. And they'll like crack a smile or laugh or whatever. And that, yeah. cause that means that I'm used to, them being there either two hours past that time and back and forth, like going towards the copy room or going towards the faculty room. So I'll make note of that and I'll say, you know, just say something positive and then I'll slide in. I'm glad to see you're going the correct direction because they have their bags and everything. So it's giving them that confidence that my, my administrator understands, like, I, I need this time. I need to get out of here. And that's that's their release. Yeah. So, so Gerard, you kind of transition us into the next question. Like, so why do you not think that whether it be administrators or whoever, why do you think that we don't put more value into the mental health of our staff and, or our kids? Like, what is it that prevents us from putting um, or making or understanding that this is important for them? What do you guys think? Cause I think sometimes it's like, 
either a PD session or article you might stick in your staff newsletter or something like small nuggets here and there. You think that's going to do the job. And when if something does transpire where a person is depressed or needed some help, you can you can have that backup like, well, we were we were we were providing supports or counselors here to talk. But but that's that's like surface level stuff. It's not. Not congr- not looking at each individual and seeing the things that help them motion back to center. And I'll use myself, for example. A lot, what a lot of people don't know about me is, and I know my wife kind of had to figure it out, is like when I know that I'm heading on that path and I need to get back to center, it may be where at the end of the week I'm drained. I, I know where my mental capacity is. And even though I may tweet or I may be on Voxer, as far as like in the physical, I'm not up to hanging out with somebody that night or that or that next day and like just somebody saying, hey, what you doing today? And like, not, I finally got to a place where I don't feel guilty and saying, nah, I'm good or um, mm-hmm. like this, this just chill mode or like going somewhere by myself and it's like, you're going to take that ride by yourself or that's an hour ride, you going to take that ride by yourself. Yeah, like I don't always need like when I'm in that mode, I don't need somebody sitting next to me in a vehicle talking mm-hmm. because I just need to. And and it's and I, when I learned that about myself, it's like I don't want anybody to think I'm being antisocial, but that's the way I bring myself back to center. Yep. Yeah, and that that's why he didn't text me back last weekend. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I'm totally good. I'm totally good. I'm Here's the thing, though. I'm totally good. Here's the thing, though. And I don't know if you guys have people in your lives like this, but like you guys, like I don't look at it that way. Like I can be like, wow, I'm drained. I'm I'm emotionally drained. It's been a long week. But I see a tweet or something from you guys. I can still respond to that because mm-hmm. it's a mutual relationship where I don't think any any conversation we have, it's like, um, it's going to put more on, oh, they, uh, Doug wants me to do this or Dino wants me to do that. It's like a relationship where it's like we're a tribe, whereas sometimes we have relationships where it seems like, like man, like do they not realize that this is one of them like, <sighs> moments, but you're still yeah. asking more of me? I don't feel you that know, way with you guys. <laughs> you know what's funny about that? And, and, and Dina, I don't want to jump on you because I know you got something to say, but real quick, like the three of us for real, for real, like I know you guys, but we've only met like <laughs> a half a dozen times, period. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have, I'm not invested like in, like I'm invested in you guys and I trust you guys to no end and you guys are my, are my family for real, for real. But if I ghost you for three or four days, it's not going to be like, you're going to feel some sort of way about it. Like Doug hasn't gotten back to me in three or four days. Like it's just yeah. understood that that's just what's going to happen. Like you're just there for where you, when you need you. And, and then we have a platform that we can vent to each other. And if you don't ever get back to me, it's fine. I'm just going to vent out here. I'm going to put it out in the, in the atmosphere, get it out. And if no one responds to it, so be it. So be it. It's fine. I got it out. That's all I'm going to say. Go ahead. It's yeah, like, well, and I think part of that too is we've also had like, you know, if we haven't heard from each other for a couple of days, you know, somebody will chime in and go, everybody doing okay. You know, like we, (laughs) we, we check in with each other and it's a, and I think that's a huge, a hugely important piece. We started, um, you know, my, my school started doing DEI work, um, you know, this beginning of this school year. And 
one of the major pieces of that DEI work is that when we meet in small groups, the first thing we do is establish how we're doing, you know, and it's like, Mm. you know, we, and it was interesting because when uh, Julia, who's our facilitator, started talking about, you know, we're going to be doing some restorative practices and, you know, started, we started going through this process of kind of just going around because we, we meet on zoom. So, you know, she goes around and she's like, okay, we're going to start to the, the first person to the right of me. And, you know, it's really facilitated this environment of trust that we have with, you know, amongst the group. And we know that we can bring things up because how are you going to, you know, get to where your biases are? How are you going to like be able to get to a point where you can say, you know, and admit to, to yourself wow, that, that thing I did, that was pretty racist. Like, you know, how are you going to get to a place with that if you don't feel safe with the people that you're in a group with? And so that, that comes with, you know, facilitating that. And as a teacher, if I'm in a building with a staff that I don't, I don't feel connected to, or I don't trust, and, and I, I don't have that, like, that's got to be facilitated. You know, that's got to be developed and, you know, Mm -hmm. really worked with. And if I, if I don't have that and I don't have anybody to go to, then that that's where it starts because I, I don't feel it's okay for me to say that out uh, out loud that I'm struggling. And I've been in buildings like that before. I've worked with staff members where I just, I, I didn't trust people because I'm about to divulge something that makes me incredibly vulnerable to other people where I'm scared of what are the repercussions going to be for me socially if I say out loud what I'm experiencing. And depression is an incredibly isolating thing because, and I, I had a conversation with somebody about this one time where it's like you, um, there's this voice inside your head that convinces you that the best thing for you to do would be to not talk to other people. Like it becomes Mm -hmm. incredibly isolating. And so it's hard because it's like, you know, that, you know, you need to talk to other people, you know, you need to talk about what you're dealing with and what you're experiencing, but that voice in your head tells you that you're much better and a lot safer if you don't talk about it and you mm-hmm. just keep your keep to yourself, keep your mouth shut. Um, and if you w- live in an environment where that was what you grew up in, it makes it hard for you to trust other people to be able to have those kinds of conversations that you need to have that are, that are not only going to preserve your sanity and be able to get you through the year, but potentially save your life. And so there's one of the things that I've come to the conclusion about is there is nothing in this world that is more valuable than my life. There's nothing more valuable than my life. Um, and so bingo, it's funny. Once, um, once I was able to kind of get to a good place with all of that, it, it enabled me to say, okay, it's all right for me to ask for help. Like it's okay for me to, to, you know, say that I, I'm not working at my best and I need help. And, I can do that now, but it's taken me, you know, 10 years, almost 11 years of, you know, doing therapy and, you know, working on myself to be able to get to that point. And now I understand what my triggers are. And a major thing for me, Gerard, what you were talking about, that's the same with me too. Like I, I've had to get really super okay with saying to other people, I can't go do anything extra. And like I would, and I'm somebody who typically would always stay at work late. But one of the reasons I would do that is because I also have ADHD. If I get home, I can't get stuff done. So I would stay at work late to get it done. Mm -hmm. And I would stay as long as I could. 
And I would stay super late on Friday nights just so that I wouldn't have to do anything Saturday and Sunday. And so there's some of the balance that I needed to have, but it's like, but I'm somebody who's going to work, who's going to look like I never leave the building. Um, But I made the schedule so that I wouldn't have to, so that I could then know that Saturday and Sunday were my days and I could decompress and I could do whatever I wanted to do and not feel guilty. And that's it. Go ahead, Jerry. Dina, like everything you just said is the reason why you and Doug are like my tribe. And what I mean by it is. Oh, wait till I, wait till I bring up what I'm going to bring yeah, up. Go ahead. Like when you, when we're like, no, we never even had this conversation before, but like when we're feeling this way, like you guys both have, each one of you guys have turned me on to a podcast each that has made me explore like, okay, now I know when I'm feeling this way and I know when I'm down, if I'm leading mm-hmm. down this path, like, these podcasts have given me like a sense of, okay, it's not just me. Like it's some science behind this and Mm -hmm. the way I'm getting back to center is actually helpful. And Doug dropped on me the hidden brain and Dina Mm -hmm. dropped the Brene Brown uh, Mm -hmm. podcast. And those two are like key to me, like having them strategies of, okay, I know when I feel maxed out at work, it's like I done gave a hundred percent. I feel as though like I left it like a sports game. I left it all on the field, but mentally I'm drained now. Um, I want to now that it's the weekend, I want to give all to my family. So it's like outside of them, it's like, I don't have time to go hanging out or, you know, some people like, Oh, um, I I ain't had a, I ain't had a, I ain't had a doubt with the fellas. This like right now where I'm in life and looking at the things my kids are doing and the things I want to do professionally. I'm cool with not having all those fellas nights out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm going to bring the complete opposite, right? Cause you guys know me. I'm an, I'm an extrovert. I'm an <laughs> extrovert to no end. And I, I walk around the school looking for conversations. <laughs> I walk around just trying to get people to be like, yeah, what's going on? What's going on with you? Tell me how you're feeling. Tell me how you're feeling. What's going on with you? Gerard, if I don't hear from my friends in a, in a couple of minutes, I text them. I'm like, we're golfing next week. What's going on? Are we hanging out? We watch the Sixers game. Like, why is nobody hanging out with me? And, and like, if you don't, like, I want to constantly be around people. Like, that's just who I am. I want to, I want to have people around me and I want to be not necessarily a center of attention, but I want to be part of the conversation of whatever that conversation is. So when it comes to school, I am walking around all the time looking for whoever it is, whether it be a student or a teacher or another administrator and just trying to like, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? Like that is who I am. Like I feel like the mayor of whatever place that I'm in. And I, and I want to just impart that conversation on somebody because I feel like I can learn from them and they can learn from me. So who knows where that conversation might go, but I don't, I certainly need breaks. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> I certainly need breaks during the school day, but I can go and go and go and go and go and go. And that's just sort of that thing where, I mean, when it comes to mental health, for me, mental health for me is connecting over and over and over and over and again. And then eventually processing, but processing to me becomes like the drive home or the shower or you know, right before I go to bed or whatever. Like I I don't need those moments during the school day, but 
No, I don't know. No, I love that. Like, Doug, that's that's totally me in a school building. Like I, like I'm not an office guy. Like that's how you learn. Right. That's how you learn your. And I think that's why, like, a lot of educators have become my friends because you just like even other administrators when you're at meetings or PDs, you just you just like like you said, you just you're you're out. You're you're meeting the conversations. And like I'm, I, I like the hanging out part. I just, I know I can't do it when I'm like totally done. But yeah. Like, yeah. like I, I, like you, you. Even if I'm done, it's crazy. If I'm done and you bring up a sporting event, I can that I can do. That I can do. Right. Just like rock. Oh yeah, yeah. You. Oh, let's catch a Sixer game. I'm drained, but I can get, I can, I can get myself together for that because that that helps bring you back to center. Well, I think it's right. it, it's important to just be attuned to that. You know, it's in, mm-hmm. you know, it, you yeah. know, Doug, you get energized from having contact with other people and having conversations and, you know, being able to, you know, connect with other people. Um, and the connections are important because we're all as human beings, we're hardwired for that, you know, but mm-hmm. it's just it's being attuned to how do you get energized? How do you prefer to make connections with other people? You know, it's and I can. You know, and and I have no problem with like, you know, getting up in front of a group of people and talking. Um, I have no problem with you know having conversations in a small group and you know connecting with people. I just know for myself that at some point during the day, I've got to shut it all off um, because yeah. I'm also a little on the introverted side where it's helpful for me to not feel depleted. And I think for People like me having to do stuff over Zoom is when it became very complex because you're you're trying to make sure you're reaching everybody and it feels like you're constantly on. And for people like me who need that kind of time to decompress and to, you know, just kind of think through and process, it, it got very, very complicated and very complex and very difficult. Um, and so yeah. it, be ever, attuned, you like, just be, be very attuned to kind of where you, where you are with things. Yeah. I read the book quiet. And if you read the book, they say that there's more fortune 500 CEOs that are introverts than extroverts. Harvard oftentimes look for extra extroverts to, for the application process. Cause they, they, they thought that that was the mold for being a leader, but really the introvert is the better leader than an extrovert. So there's, there's definitely, there are qualities to, you know, extroverts that are really no. incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. and you, you certainly want people who need to, um, who are really good at cheering people on and providing that kind of, you know, build up. You, you definitely want people in those, those positions where that's absolutely necessary. Um, I'm, I'm striving to be an omnivore. <laughs> <laughs> so I can be kind of in the middle. <laughs> but Doug, I, like you're 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 kind of you're kind of impressive with the way you can you can go you can go back and forth. I don't know if I can try. <laughs> 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 All right, <laughs> I appreciate the compliment. I'm kind of in your face all the time, and it's kind of like you know the problem with Doug. All right, let's move on. So, um, so we talk about students' mental well-being, but why don't we discuss teachers' mental health? Like, what is it about the fact that schools um, maybe talk about SEL for teachers, but really don't implement things or do things for teachers? Like, what do you, what do you think is the holdup there? Do you think it's um, 
it's like we try to cram it all into one week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And teacher appreciation week. Yeah. So what are some things that you think we could do in order to, to make teachers feel more like we're worried about their mental health? Um, so actually, Doug, if you want to jump to the next, if you want to jump to the next question, there are actually a couple things that go with that. Um, that okay. we'll talk about. So, um, it has to do with the difference between burnout and demoralization. Um, so a a good friend of mine, um, kind of, you know, said, I think you need to take a look at this, this book. Um, I think it's really going to help you with what you're experiencing right now. So several years ago, I was in a situation where employment wise, I I loved my kids. Um, I loved what I was teaching. Mm. I was enjoying that part of it, but I felt like there were parts of me that, couldn't do things that I know I was, I was good with. And it became a very contentious situation because I felt like the values that I was trying to uphold in the classroom were not being honored. And so I wasn't feeling burnout. I was feeling what Dolores Santoro defines as demoralization. Um, and so there's, there are kind of two different things there. Um, so basically, um, and I, I, when I talk about burnout, I take Elena Aguilar's kind of definition of what burnout is. So burnout is a form of depression. And usually what happens when you're, when you're burned out, you feel fatigue, you're frustrated. Um, you're really just dissatisfied with your work and you have some level of apathy. You know, it's just like, you just don't, you, you just feel like you don't care. Um, And a lot of times it happens because teachers feel like they are just kind of pushed to where they are just completely exhausted and they just don't have anything else to give. Um, And so that's kind of what, you know, burnout Um, with demoralization. It is when your ongoing values as, as a teacher can't be solved by practicing self-care and avoiding things that make you exhausted. Um, and so you, it, it happens when you as a teacher feel like you cannot get any sort of return on the amount of time, effort, and energy you've put into your job. And so that's kind of the difference between the two. Um, and a lot of our self-care type things, you know, it's like, you know, take, take a nap, um, you know, take a hot shower, go out, you know, get some exercise. You know, it's because exercise is really great to help keep you from keep reducing burnout and keep you healthy and, you know, but physically and mentally, um, those things don't cure demoralization and demoralization is usually systemic. Um, so there's kind of the major thing between the two. And so when I was experiencing that, I, you know, I, I thought maybe it was teacher burnout, but I was feeling that way when the school year started. And so that there's kind of the difference between the two. So that's, a, yeah. you were burnt out before you even started the school year because you were demoralized. In a it, way. It's yeah. It, I wasn't feeling fatigued though. That's a, like, usually that's right, a, right, a huge right. sign of you're feeling burnout. defeated. You're feeling defeated. Yeah. yeah it, you're feeling defeated. It just, I, I felt yeah. like what, what I was doing was never going to be valued or honored. And I felt like I wasn't meeting my purpose for why I was in this profession. That's, that's kind of where it was. That's actually what pushed me to gradeless. And that's a, that's a huge thing. I tell people that all the time. I'm like, demoralization is the thing that was my pathway to gradeless. So this might be a good question for Gerard and you and me. Like if you're feeling demoralized, how do you bring that up? Cause I'm, I'm assuming 
the demoralization comes from leadership, right? It, it can, So yeah. if the system, I mean, the system is generally the leadership of whatever building is. So if you're feeling demoralized, and let's assume that Gerard or I are your principals, assistant principals, or whatever, what would you say to us to say, don't demoralize me? Like, how would you bring that up in the conversation? Like, is there a way to to bring that up or do you just need to get out? I mean, Gerard and I are super cool guys. So we would listen to you and we would change our ways. You know it. You know it. <laughs> uh, so I have, I have had that. If we were super cool guys. <laughs> uh, so I've had that conversation um, before and basically said, you know, I, I just don't feel like you know, I, I feel like there that I, my needs as a, a professional are not being met, and had come up with a couple of things. You know, maybe I can lead something. Maybe that would help. And at the, at the administrator I had, who I had expressed this to, I I think she did as good a job as she she was able to do, given what the circumstances were within our system, to try and make me as content with that as possible. And it just mm-hmm. wasn't working within that system that I was in. Um, I think they did the best job they could to help with that. Um, if mm-hmm. it, I would suggest for anybody, if you are in a building where you have that kind of relationship where you feel like you can go to your administrator and have that conversation, um, I always feel like you at least owe it to them to let them try and rectify something before you decide that you're just going to up and leave. Um, yeah, that's point. a, I'm of that mindset, but I also know people mm-hmm. who are incredibly toxic work situations where they can't have that kind of conversation with their administrator. Um, you know, and obviously you've got to do what's best for also, you. There's also people that bring a lot of baggage to their job that has nothing to do with work that I've experienced, where it's like, there's a thousand things going on in their personal life mm-hmm. that I have no control over. And that's the reason why you're having some mental health issues. It has nothing to do with work. It's just because your personal life is a mess. And I can't help you with that. It's, um, well, and, you know, and, um, and I think too, it's, um, it's, it's a kind of a loaded thing. I can't, we can't do everything in the school. You it, know what I mean? Like it, we can't solve You can't, and, and you can't. And I don't know that there is an, there's an easy answer for that, but I think sometimes, um, there is a distinct lack of empathy that we express to people who are struggling. And Mm, it's, you know, in, uh, and I'm going to default to a little Brene Brown here by asking, you know, is that person really doing the best they can? You know, it's like, are they doing their absolute best? And if I can say, you know what? Yeah, they're, they really are doing the best that they can. Then I try and work with people. But, you know, it's, you, you've got to, it's like, I think that there is just this huge disconnect with what it, understanding other people's experiences, you know, and we, we talk about this in relation to race and with, you know, other marginalized groups all the time. Um, But when somebody's really, truly struggling and they're doing the best that they can, you know, have we done enough as a system to support people who really are doing the best that they can? You, you know, one thing, um, as you were um, explaining uh, demoralization, I was just thinking about a common, and it, it's not just in education, it's in a lot of organizations. One common thing that is put that has been put in place to try to 
get to the root of demoralization and try to change it around has kind of went awry. And it's those end of year climate surveys, because sometimes the those that are feeling demoralized do express that. But a lot of times that the loud squeaky wheel is just disgruntled about because something didn't go their way. They're not demoralized. It's mm, just right, something didn't go right. their way. So the, the leaders can't even really get to the nitty gritty of what the purpose of the survey was because the survey should honestly should be revealing of the feeling of demoralization in the building where a lot of times it turns into someone that has other motives and those that are demoralized end up leaving the organization before we even have a chance to fix it. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's why I'm always an advocate a, of really having that conversation. I mean, it's, you know, if, you know, it, before leaving a place, having the conversation with the administrative, you know, one of the administrators and, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt before you decide you're going to up and leave, um, you know, because it, it just, you know, and I, I don't think you owe everybody everything. You know, but if that if that administrator has acted in good faith consistently, then you need to have a conversation with that administrator before you decide you're going to up and go someplace. Um, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt, and you know, if they've acted in good faith, allow them that opportunity to be able to work with you and you know do what's best for you and do right by you. Um, mm-hmm. But that also means that there has to be a level of trust established where you know somebody feels like they can can have that conversation and say, I'm really not happy. Um, you know, and, and say, you know, what, what is something that I can do or, you know, can I, is is there anything that I could do? Um, and if they are, if they're acting in good faith and they're a good administrator, they're, they're not going to do wrong by you. So you're, you're jumping into a whole different conversation about how can we develop levels of trust with administrators and teachers. And I, I don't know that under the mental health, I think that's a whole nother podcast that we could probably get into. <laughs> yes. I don't disagree with you. I think that's super important, but that's a really loaded topic that I don't know that we're only at 42 minutes, right? It's like, well, there, <laughs> Cause I have a lot of things to say about that and that we can talk about after the show. There are, there are a couple of, there are a couple of things that I'm going to suggest. Um, so just in terms of, well, that's what I was yeah. going to say. Your last question is really good. Like, what are some things that we can do to help other teachers that may be struggling with mental health? Like, what are some things that we can do to help? Um, so the, a, a huge thing is that, you know, um, especially as it pertains to teacher burnout, one of the, the big keys mm-hmm. is understanding that, first off, burnout can be prevented. You know, there are, there are strategies that you can incorporate it. And I think, I Gerard, see. you said this a little earlier, you know, we tend to do a lot of things really poorly when it comes to professional learning and professional development with the staff, with our staffs. Um, A lot of times, and I've been in buildings before where people have at the, like the beginning of the school year, they're like, here's the stuff and then do the things. And then it's like, nobody brings it up again. And (laughs) it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, so there has to be like this, this relationship developed throughout the year of, you know, of revisiting. And that was one of the things that was so great about doing, um, you know, restorative practices along with our DEI work was we are consistently checking in with each other. And that is something that administrators Mm -hmm. can do, Um, you know, checking in with staff and asking, you know, how, how are you doing? Like I said earlier, the, the gateway for me getting help was my principal looking at me and saying to me, something is not right. 
And so that at that point, I'm like, well, damn, if my principal's looking at me and can tell something's not right, then I, I really probably need to get help. Um, and sometimes when you're not attuned to it, and you know, Gerard, I love that you said that earlier about like, I know when I'm reaching my point, my wife knows when I'm reaching my point. It, that's a key thing. It's like, if you're not attuned to that's what's going on with you, somebody has to say to you, something doesn't seem right with you. And then at that point, yeah. it kind of almost gives you permission to have a conversation and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm not doing okay. Um, another approach is, especially this is really a, a good suggestion. And I believe this came from Melina Aguilar's book is when you're working with teachers, especially new teachers who don't understand what the workload looks like, um, because teacher preparation programs don't do a phenomenal job of preparing teachers to handle the workload or handle the emotional access that comes with being in a classroom mm -hmm. with students. Um, no, it's, it's, it's just, you're not prepared. You, you come in and it's like, you know, no. you, you have a very, you know, Pollyanna, you know, rose colored glasses view of education. And then it's like, you get in the classroom and then you're there with bodies and it's like, you've got to teach kids and, you know, no one really prepares you for that or the disappointment when things don't go well. I mean, you could have in the beginning, when you start teaching, you have four or five lessons in a row that bomb, you know, and, and nobody mm -hmm. really prepares you for that. Um, so or a whole year. Yeah, you can case. have just whole terrible year whole years. That's um, true. So the, yeah. it's, the, the question becomes, at the end of the year, I'll feel successful if. Um, so it's establishing what you, what, how would you define success? You know, are you going to define success by spending, you know, seven or eight hours every weekend trying to like do lesson plans and grade papers you know, are, are you going to feel like you have done enough and that you, you have met where you would like to be based on this criteria? But there is a level of, you have to do a little bit of extra work when you're new. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember staying until eight o'clock on a Friday night and I was 21 years old. And I'm like, why am I staying until Friday night at eight o'clock <laughs> running copies? Like I should be out partying, but I was like, I'm committed. Even though I was a bad teacher, I was a horrible teacher. Well, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that you're going to stay late at work. Like I, I am all for spending as much time mm -hmm. as you feel that you need to in order to feel prepared. But the question becomes, yeah. so I think that's my, that's my mental health is to be prepared for the next week. It's well, but the question becomes, are you after spending and, you know, staying at work until eight o'clock on a Friday night and then spending all day Sunday trying to prepare are you going to feel like what you did was enough? Like that's, that's the yes. key question. Are you going to feel like that? Because so yeah. much of that, but that's an internal question. Yes. Yeah, so much right. of that is going to lead you down a pathway where you're going to feel like you constantly are chasing the, it's just not good enough. And if you, after a while, yeah. if you couple that with some of the things that might be going on outside, I mean, I, there's a special place in my heart for anybody who started teaching this year. Um, yeah, that's yes. yeah. This year, let's throw this year. But, out. Um, you know, but, that's but true. the thing is, though, it's in what we what we might perceive as not being that big a deal, might be a huge deal to somebody who has not had a set of experiences that have dictated that they understand how to process and deal with that, and they need to feel like they are in a safe enough place to be able to communicate to somebody else. I I am miserable right now, and I need some help. Yeah. I 
I mean, yes, the first year teachers this year are a whole different breed, and they're going to be, I don't know if they're going to be the best teachers in the world or the worst teachers in the world. But I know when I started in 2001, staying until 8 o'clock at night on a Friday, well, it wasn't expected, but it was what I needed to do in order to be prepared for Monday. And I was passionate enough about my job that that's what I needed to do. My mental health was working extra to make sure that I was prepared for Monday so that Monday went well and Tuesday went well and Wednesday went well and Thursday went well. And I know it wasn't contractual and I know I didn't get paid for it and I didn't do whatever, but like those are the things that I do. And even as a principal, I mean, I, I mean, I remember when COVID it doesn't even matter. Last weekend I spent three hours working on some stuff for my school and I did it because I knew, knew that this week was going to be something that, the teachers were coming back for professional development that needed to be prepared for. Like, so I spent three hours on Sunday and preparing some stuff. Like I just needed to do that so that I knew that today I can wake up this morning and be like, yes. I'm ready for it. And that was my mm-hmm. mental health. Like my mental health was being prepared. It, it, it sucks. But again, that's an unwritten contract that I talked about earlier. Like, I just think like that has to be a part of it. If, if you're not willing to do that, then that is an issue. I don't know. But it's, and I think that I, I think you're treading on a very, very, very like sticky area, Doug. Because, a sure. because a person's like if, especially if you are prone to depression, like I, I went a whole fifteen years with no depressive symptoms at all. You know, like fifteen mm. years, I thought I was good to go, everything was fine. Like give birth to my child, come back to work six months later, still doing fine. Six months in, like, got knocked sideways. And that is something I had zero control over. Like, I thought I was fine. And so it's sometimes you don't know the depression is going to be where it is. You don't know where it's going to land. And so, you know, and, and I was getting up every morning. I was going into work. I was doing the best that I could. And if I hadn't, had somebody point out to me that they didn't think that I was okay, I don't know where I would have landed. And yeah. we need to be mm-hmm. a little bit more mindful of each other because I'm uh, because I think anybody who knows me will tell you that I'm an incredibly strong person. Like I can take a lot mm-hmm. and I can deal with a lot. But I didn't sure. know I was not equipped to handle what I was handling at that point in time. And so when I finally did get help, the first thing that I was told is, you know, if you are in a relationship with somebody else, you owe it to that person to do the things you need to do to take care of yourself. Up until that point, I didn't give myself permission to get help. And so we're not equipped. Like I, I, I should not be having conversations with other people telling them to go get help. Like it's, I'm not equipped for that. But I do it because I know what it did for me. So I'm not going to counsel mm-hmm. somebody because that's not what I'm prepared for. But I can have a conversation to, to say to somebody else, you know, I am concerned about how you're navigating everything. Um, and but if, but if they trust you, why couldn't you counsel them to some level? I'm not saying you can't be a therapist, but why couldn't you counsel them a little because bit? Because I have to be very, very careful, Doug, because if I have certain conversations with other people, I know that it's going to have an emotional reaction that mm. is going to make me feel better in the moment, but it's going to make them feel terrible because 
they've made me upset. So I have to be very Mm. careful around that and I have Mm. to protect that. So I'm not equipped to necessarily have those conversations all of the time. I can have them most of the time, but I have to be very careful about that. So it's if my biggest suggestion would be for if somebody is struggling that first off, if you feel like you're in a safe environment to have those discussions with, you know, you know, a trusted colleague, have those discussions um, with somebody and get the appropriate help that you need. If you're a state of Delaware employee, um, you know, you have at least five sessions, you know, through HMS, you know, you, and they will refer you Mm -hmm. out to somebody else. And I think a lot of, you know, districts have that kind of support. Uh, Minimally, they have that kind of support. Uh, Well, in the state of Delaware, we do, but in another state, I'm not entirely sure. Oh, right, right, Um, right, right, But we owe it to each other. I mean, you know, it's like, again, you know, if we provide situations where people feel safe and having those discussions with people within their building, um, you know, without there being a level of toxicity or stigma attached to it, they're going to be better teachers and they're going to provide better learning experiences for their students. Um, And just a quick Mm -hmm. shout out, uh, Trey Gamage, who we've had on the show before, Mm -hmm. does a lot of work around teacher SEL. Um, and Trey would be an awesome uh, resource for anybody who's looking to kind of help and support with that. Um, but we've got to take care of each other because it, it, people can't do the kind of job that they need to be able to do without feeling like they've got that level of support. Yeah. All right. We're about up against it. Gerard, anything else you want to say before we head out? No, I just, okay. I think I just enjoy this conversation. I think it's, it's a definitely a, a follow-up with maybe some guest teachers on or something. Yeah. I'm all for that. Yeah, I got nothing else. Dina, any last thoughts? I mean, it, it just, for me, for me, it's all about too, it isn't just the, the mental aspect of it. I think sometimes you always think about how mentally you have to deal with stuff, but I think the physical aspect of it, mm-hmm. if you get out and exercise and you go for walks and you're healthy, and you eat right, like that helps tremendously. Um, and you don't do things to, to damage your body, then your mental does benefit from all of that. That's but. true. Yeah. All right. Anything else? You good? Yeah, we good. good. All right. Now, you know, what can I do to create this equitable space? Like, you know, what Especially for those students um, that look like me that came from uh, my community. I wanted to be an influencer for them, like for young people. Connect with more people whose mindset and goals. Alright, this is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard.